Hey guys, welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on one of my favorite markets of all time, the Texas Hill Country, Hook'em Horns. So guys, we're gonna do a 10 episode deep dive on investing in the Texas Hill Country. And we got 10 episodes here, I just said that, but make sure you hit that subscribe button because we are gonna do a quarterly update that you don't wanna miss, you guessed it, every quarter. And we do have some supplementary materials for y'all in addition to the content on this podcast. We've got those over at our website, theshorttermshop.com. So if you wanna know anything about purchase prices of properties in these markets, or we've got all of the income data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA. And we've got all of that for you again at theshorttermshop.com. If you guys wanna buy a short-term rental with a short-term shop agent in the Texas Hill Country, email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we will hook you up. Or if you just wanna hang out with us more and talk about short-term rentals, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, We've got a great Facebook group, same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or if you wanna talk to us live on Zoom, we have a call every Thursday. You can sign up for at strquestions.com and we will catch you guys over there Hook them longhorns. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on the Texas Hill Country of the Short Term Shop Special Market Episode Series. Uh, we talked last time on the last episode about your income numbers. So today we're going to kind of talk about the part two of analysis on your expenses. So part one was income, part two is expenses. So today we're going to go over the common expenses that you can expect in this market. Uh, I've got some great guests to help me do that today. Uh, Some definitely familiar faces from last time, but uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Stacey, in case anyone didn't listen to the last one. Sure. So I am Stacey Lancaster. I am the uh, Short-Term Shops Texas Hill Country agent and also a um, short-term rental owner myself. I self-manage and three properties remotely that I own. Thanks, Stacey. And next we have Karan Narang. He's been on a few times. Thanks. Introduce yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Avery. Uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Karan Narang. Um, you know, we run and manage our own properties. We've got, uh, I think we're up to about 11 now and we're managing. Uh, we also recently started co-hosting for others. So uh, a bunch of different things around the short-term uh, space, and uh, we've been doing this now for a few years. I have a few properties that are scattered around, you know, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, and uh, Alabama at the moment, and uh, we continue to expand. Awesome, awesome. All right, so let's get down to business. The common expenses for managing a short-term rental in the Texas Hill Country. So we'll start at the most basic and then we'll work our way to some of the more specific and nuanced to this market and the type of rental expenses. So first, let's start off with utilities. Are those more than other areas, less, about the same? How are we How are we coming to that conclusion? So from, uh, from my perspective, it's pretty much more or less the same. Uh, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Our utilities tend to be on the higher side because we like to keep the places heated and cooled to a nice, comfortable level. Uh, we like, we've got pool heating, for example, uh, at our property in Texas. In Texas, if you want to be successful, you want a pool and you want to make sure it's heated because people will come here in December and say, I want the pool heated at 60 degrees or 50 degrees outside and they want the pool heated to 85 uh, now again, we pass on that cost largely to the uh, to the guests, um, but you know it's to me it it seems um, 
pretty much on par with everything else. Uh, now, again, what you have to keep in mind is, you know, propane costs are going up and, you know, that, that tends to be on the higher end. But other than that, nothing else. What we have started doing now uh, for our properties for a couple of issues, right? Uh, we've started putting in, for example, Ecobee smart thermostats because they have a sensor that uh, allows the HVAC to come on and off uh, based on whether the doors open or close or windows are open or close. Now, we've started doing this now in Texas. We're test- testing it out because we can automate it. Now, by integrating with our own arrest system, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this IFTTT. You know, it's a, it's a technology that you can use to trigger the house getting heated or cooled uh, based on whether a guest is coming in or not. Like, you know, if they're coming in eight hours prior to that, low the temperature to 72 degrees and after checkout, get it back to 78 and that's okay, right? So trying to optimize the cost that way. Um, this, I think, is also going to be really helpful in Texas in the summer for the air conditioning. It's, it's a big one. Uh, but I also think it's really helpful um, in beach markets because in Gulf Shores, we always have this issue of oh, the HVAC lines froze and because they kept the AC cranked and have the windows open. So we're testing it out in our Texas properties, but we're, we plan on rolling this out everywhere. So how much does that cost, that software? So that's a free technology. It's called it's, it's IFTTT. It's called If This Then That. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, and it's, it basically integrates with owner res and it, you basically create a rule that says when there's a booking, trigger the AC. You know, for example, I have a guest checking in tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., lower the air conditioner temperature to 72 degrees because the guest is coming in uh, at 4 p.m. And we know that it takes, you know, X hours to cool the, cool the property down. And then when the guest checks out, raise it back up to 78 because I don't have a guest coming in for three days. Right. And then once again, the guest is coming in, lower it. Now, automatically, this uh, the Ecobee thermostat also has doors and window sensors. So if you leave the door and windows open, uh, which us- usually causes this freeze in, in Gulf Shores, for example, is you leave the door, patio door open, and now you've got the AC cranking. The AC thinks it's not able to keep up, and it keeps cooling it, and it freezes the lines. And now you've got to get pay someone $400 to come fix it, right? Um, so we're, we're just rolling out smarter technology to be able to manage our utility costs. So we've gotten to a point, Avery, again, you know, with any market, what happens is you're, you're working on optimizing revenue, right? But you can only push it so far. You know, a four-bedroom cabin or a big property in Texas, a property in Texas, you're only, a property only has the ability to go that much, that high-end revenue. And at some point, you have to start paying close attention to these costs that we're talking about and start to find ways to be more efficient with it. So that's where we are right now. We've gotten to the point where we're optimizing our revenue. But we're also, you know, it's harder to earn a dollar. It's sometimes easier to save one. So we're trying to do that uh, across all our properties. Yeah, I would imagine that in Texas, since it gets so hot in the summertime, that AC is a big one. So you're electric. And like most of the Southeast, Texas, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the AC in Texas is, it's all a, just one unit. And uh, so your electric will be really, really high in the summertime when it's really hot out and there's just really no way around that. What we've started doing is anywhere that we do a rehab, uh, especially if it is multiple units kind of a situation, a bigger property, uh, we'll put mini splits instead of replacing the HVAC. So that, that helps out quite a bit. Okay. So you add mini splits to the existing HVAC? If, if the property, one, needs additional heating or cooling, or two, if you're doing a rehab and we need to replace the unit anyways, 
then we'll do mini splits versus that. So that way they're not running the whole thing at the, at, you know, at, you know, all the time. So it's much easier, much more efficient. Okay. Not a bad idea at all. And how much does a mini split cost you to buy and put in usually? Uh, I want to say probably $2,500, maybe something that range 2,500 to 3,000. It varies based on the capacity. Uh, but what I've been uh, told recently is that uh, these u- units that you actually see in hotels, once you start going volume, you can actually do this. The units in the hotels cost like a thousand bucks. So versus going and buying retail, you can actually buy them for a thousand bucks. So if you're doing you know, a bigger rehab, for example, of a boutique hotel and you want 20 units, you can actually go buy it in wholesale, whatever, from the commercial guys. And it's like a thousand bucks, 800 bucks a unit. Oh, okay. That's not too bad at all. All yeah. right. Um, moving on. So are most properties in these markets on city water, city sewer, or a lot of them on septic and wells? So we actually like to buy properties in Texas. There's markets, popular markets usually have a lot of regulations, right? Um, and when you have these regulations in these markets, if you're within the city limits, you have regulations you have to comply with, but you get city water and city sewer and all that stuff. We tend to be, uh, our properties, we tend to buy kind of outside city limits because now we, which is, which allows us the flexibility to not have licensing and regulations and stuff like that. We have to remit taxes, but you know, typically we're not regulated. Um, but on the flip side, we have to have a septic system in most places and water is city water stuff. Okay. And the costs associated with city water is typically pretty minimal, right? Oh yeah, it's not it's not significant at all. And I wouldn't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's it's not significant. Now, uh, the one thing to be cautious about is unlike other markets where you may have you know, a nice lush green lawn and you have a sprinkler system going. In my personal home, I have a sprinkler system and yeah, we pay the bill. But most of these are properties, you know, outside of our personal residence. They're on bigger acreage and you can't have a sprinkler system, you know, taking your lush green lawn. Uh, so we don't really bother with having like big green spaces outside. Now, if you're in Texas Hill Country, you've got natural, you know, trees, but it does turn brown in the winter. So, um, you know, we'd rather not if you start putting in sprinkler systems and spring, you know, having sprinklers going in your short-term rental, it ends up costing a lot of money. So you want to be cautious about that. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that it's just harder to maintain. Yeah. Correct. Um, all right. So what about internet? Is Do you just get the typical like AT&T, U-Burst or something like that? Or are there specific, that, like, is it available everywhere? Are there areas that, that you can't really get internet? So what's awesome is, uh, and you know, I know we're talking about the hill country, but I'll give you an example, right? Uh, so in, in Texas, primarily, you can find good internet in most spaces. We use Spectrum or Fios or something like that. Uh, it's the most popular internet. We tend to go for the most expensive, the fastest you can find, because I don't want, you know, people to bitch and moan, to be honest with you. I just can't put up with that. You know, hey, you're on vacation, but my Netflix isn't streaming. Listen, okay, get a life. Um, so that, that bothers me a little bit. So I say, Hey, you know, we're going to get the fastest internet we can get. So people don't, don't worry about it. You want to come in and watch TV or stream, whatever, and just spend your weekend. You know, you spent 5,000 to spend time there, but you want to come watch TV. That's on you. Uh, now what's interesting is in recent days, Starlink's actually changed our life a little bit, right? So we're building new cabins in, in Oklahoma. I know we're talking about hill country, but if you don't have now, um, 
internet where you are, Starlink apparently is phenomenal. So we considered getting Starlink for some of our new cabins where internet hadn't come in yet. Um, but they just got it in at just in time. But some people I know have Starlink. So now it's pretty much, you know, a great option pretty much wherever you go. You probably have that on your RV, no? I don't have it yet. So we use uh, actually the alternative internet solution that we use for our Smokies cabins. It's called Viper. And yep. it's, uh, it. I don't know exactly what it works off of, probably cell service if I had to guess. So yep. we use that um, if, we, if we're in a place that doesn't have internet. No, I would, I would absolutely look into Starlink. Uh, people I know putting in, in like new builds before they got actual service, raving about it. And, and it's fast. It's really fast. Awesome. Yeah, we keep meaning to. We just haven't gotten yeah. around to, to so, doing that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty normal here. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's popularly available everywhere. And, you know, people, people have been picking that up. Some people actually say they prefer to regular internet because, you know, when you go to like Spectrum or whatever, they're charging you. Prices keep going up. Taxes keep going up and your, your bill keeps accelerating. Um, so we're actually looking at changing everything now. So as we reached a certain amount of scale, and we were looking at this just the other day, you know, across all our properties, by the time everything's ready, we're going to have about 70 TVs. Wow. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, it's just the thing, you know, in the cabins, for example, in Broken Bow, they want a, a TV in every room, in the living room, on the patio, on the deck, whatever it is. Same thing, you know, almost everywhere, right? Our Texas property, Hill Country property has seven bedrooms and then it's got patios. So it's got like, we've got like 10 TVs there, Right. So when you start counting it, you're going to have 70 TVs. So we're cutting down, for example, cable bills, right? We've decided we're just going to cut off cable completely. We're going to go to all streaming, and that's it. So there's ways to make it more efficient. So we're in that stage now, two years or two and a half years of operating some of these properties. We maximize on the revenue. Let's go find cost efficiency. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Stacey, are you seeing any areas that don't that, like don't have internet in the hill country where you would have to get a Starlink or a service like that? Not really. Um, it, it's pretty much, there's some kind of internet service available pretty much anywhere. Now, there may be some areas, uh, if you're in a little bit more remote location, some areas on your property where you may not have a great signal, uh, but you should be able to get it, you know, for the property itself. So that's a, that's a good point, Stacey, because we also like bigger properties in Texas, especially in hill country. When we're looking at properties, we want acreage, right? So there's parts of the property that you can't get good coverage. But what we try to do is we use AFI, um, which is which allows for multiple access points, like a commercial internet service. And we use AFI to create like a big mesh network on, on our entire property for that. All right. So That's moving smart. along from internet, what are the typical cleaning expenses in the Hill Country? Well, I'll put this in perspective for you because it varies by property size. Um, so our property is seven bedroom, five and a half bathroom, sleeps 22, right? And uh, we pay 450 every turn, um, which seems pretty comparable to like Gulf Shores, for example. It kind of, it's to me, sound a little crazy compared to that like Broken Bow uh, cabins that sleep 14 and 16. We pay 325, 350, 300, something like that in the threes. Uh, Texas is slightly higher, but so is so our place like Gulf Shores. So, I wouldn't uh, worry about that too much. Yeah, I pay four hundred for a four bedroom in Destin. Yeah, so that's why I found Florida and uh, Alabama Gulf Shores expensive. Um, Oklahoma is on the cheaper side, I think, for bigger properties still. 
And, um, you know, in, in the hill country that I'm paying, is, it seems okay. It seems reasonable to me. So yeah, nothing great. You know, the good part about it is because, you know, Texas ultimately, you know, it's quite uh, populated. There's a lot of people. And, and I think it's somewhat easier to find cleaners and, and maintenance people. Uh, so we've been okay with that. Awesome. Well, that's good to know that it's not that difficult to find the people that you need. Um, no. Okay. As long as you're willing to pay a little, you know, you always find people. Gotcha. Are there any costs associated with the permitting process or is there even a permitting process outside of the city limits of Fredericksburg? Well, we're outside of Austin. We're outside of, you know, we're in the ETG outside of Austin. So uh, we don't have a permitting process. Now, again, um, most places do have an application fee and you have to keep it renewed. And it's, I think it's like not more than a couple of hundred dollars, in a, you know, a year or whatever. So I don't think it's, uh, it's significant at all. Um, not very really expensive. Yeah. Outside of city limits, there's no permitting fees at all. Um, yeah. if you're inside city limits, then, you know, you do have to, I always tell people, if you're looking like in Fredericksburg for a property, you're going to want to find something that's already permitted. And then you just have to pay those renewal fees um, every year, which I think are less than a couple hundred bucks. Okay, well, that's not too terrible. And okay, let's get into some of the property specific stuff, and then we'll move on to more of the like tax related things. So, um, mm-hmm. if you have a property with a pool, what what it, what would you say the cost to maintain that pool per month? So our property and pool, uh, we used to pay four hundred a month, four hundred to four fifty a month to maintain it. Chemicals, balancing the whole nine yards, keeping it clean and pristine all the time. Now again, we were okay doing that because a pool is one of the biggest sellers for us. We have a, like an infinity pool, and that needs to look pristine at all times. Is the first thing people notice doesn't not looking good if they come in and it's not perfect right and it's an exterior it's an outside pool so it's um you know you've got leaves and everything we've got trees by and you know they need to make sure it's completely clean so we paid 400 to 450 a month to maintain that now our situation is a, uh, is a little unique because we're a wedding venue for that particular property we actually hired a local co-host that does all the tours of the property um, the ongoing supervision of the cleaners and the maintenance because it's a big property that has, you know, seven bedrooms where you have three living rooms, three kitchens, three dining rooms. Uh, so it, it just has so much going on. The whole property probably has a thousand light bulbs, right? And I'll, so they make sure the property is maintained at all times, give tours to the property. Now, they also included in their contract for me, um, you know, pool maintenance and cleaning. Now, we install the automated chemical dispensers and stuff like that. But uh, they're making sure the pool is clean all the time. So it saved us a little money there. So we don't really pay anything for the pool specifically. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad because I know I don't own in the hill country yet, but we pay about $150 a month for pool maintenance when the heater's off. So in the summertime. But then in the wintertime, if we, when we have the heater on, we have to charge a little bit more to the guests because the heater's expensive to keep running. So I have a question about that. Do you, uh, do you charge your guests extra to, heat yeah. the pool what do you charge i actually day? think it's a great revenue stream to be honest with you and i think it's a great seller um you know we we do charge in our market when you come in and stay for three or four days and you want the pool heated we're using every bit of 400 dollars worth of propane so we pass it on to the guests 
because remember it's cold and people wanted it you know 90 degrees when it's 55 outside so you know what we'll do it um so we pass it on to the guests now there are markets where we're managing or co-hosting other properties where we charge like 150 bucks for the week and it's cheap and the the owners actually make you know you know 50 70 100 bucks profit off of that you know which is which is a good thing so uh, in the Texas market, it's expensive to heat because it's typically propane, and uh, propane is expensive. So, yeah, yeah, ours is uh, gas of some sort. I can't remember exactly yeah. what I was Probably not putting in. Uh, but yeah, I think we charge them like fifty bucks a day for the pool yeah. being heated. Yeah, See, we we try to go on a daily basis. So if you're renting our property for less than three days, you're going to go daily, right? It's like one hundred and fifty bucks a day. If you're going to rent it for because it takes 24 hours to actually get the pool heated to begin with, right? And uh, if you're staying for more than three days and you play a fat flat $450, probably lasts about five days total, and you save some money there. So how big is your propane tank and how much does it cost to refill it? I want to say it's 100 gallons. Okay. Uh, and I think, you know, every time is about 400 to 425, something like that, that we spend 375 to 400 in that range. And we end up using every bit of it when a guest comes in for four days and says they want to heat it all the time. Now, remember, we also have a hot tub right next to it. Uh, the hot tub, of course, we don't charge extra, but the hot tub's heated as well. So sometimes guests will come in, they'll enjoy the hot tub all of a sudden. Hey, we want the pool heated. Sorry, you didn't tell us in advance. You're leaving tomorrow. We can't heat it on a minute's notice, so we don't do it. Uh, but I definitely think uh, the pool heating is a very important piece. If you're going to get a pool, if you have a pool, put it in the heater. It costs about Four to five thousand dollars to put in a pool heater. Now, what I will tell people is, when you put in a pool heater, you should also change your control panel for the pool. You want a smart control panel because when I'm sitting in Texas and I'm sitting in Dallas and this property is outside of Austin, and the guest tells me, "Hey, I'm checking in tomorrow. Can you get my pool heated?" I don't want to drive there to turn anything. I don't want to send someone and pay fifty bucks to go do it. So I remotely turn on the pool heat. I control it remotely. I know what temperature it's set at. And when they leave, I can turn it off pretty easily, right? So this, you should put in a Wi-Fi or a smart controller for the pool uh, if you're going to put in the heater. Makes it so much easier to manage and charge that money and actually um, manage the pool heating. Okay, makes sense. Uh, so let's talk about some more kind of specific things. If you're planning to buy a larger property and potentially use it as a wedding venue or rent it out for weddings, uh, like we talked about in the last episode. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of extra expenses do you have when you rent to those wedding weekends? So the things that we worry about, uh, to be honest with you, is we've got, um, when we have 60 or 70 people on the property, uh, we worry about like the bathroom, the toilet situation, right? Because we've got, they're on septics, we've got two separate septic tanks. Um, we tend to pump them more often. But typically, if a guest is coming with 60 or 70 uh, people you know, at the wedding, we will recommend they, they rent a porta potty, right? In the low season, we will actually rent it. And we found a local person who will do it for like $1,800 or whatever. And we basically say, hey, it's thirteen or 14000 for the wedding, but we're renting you this as well because you're going to have a lot of guests. And, and, you know, we include that. So depending on what the situation is, depending on how much they're paying us, we may include it or not. Or we'll recommend they go rent a porta potty for for those many guests. And it's not, you know, one of those 
you know, plastic ones, Johnny on the spot kind of things. This is more like a trailer, nice, you know, it looks nice. You put it on the property and uh, it's, it's a lot easier. They just need power and water. Do you incur extra cleaning costs on those wedding weekends or is it about the same as a regular clean anyway? So we typically don't charge, uh, we typically don't pay more. We don't have to pay more for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do charge a cleaning fee at times, an additional cleaning fee. Once again, based on the situation and how many people there are and what's happening there, uh, we would charge an additional cleaning fee up to $750 for an event. Um, me, we don't necessarily always spend all that money on cleaning, but we put it away as reserves, you know, just in case any minor maintenance needs to be taken care of for that. Okay. So that's smart. So you're charging an event fee and then an event cleaning fee. So that's technically like two extra streams of income from this. That's correct. Do you guys, and I might be getting way too deep on the wedding thing now. And by the way, like, I think this is really interesting for a lot of people because so many people are so terrified of people having a party or an event at their property and you are leaning into this and you're seeing that, okay, they're not actually destroying my property. So mm -hmm. I think it's pretty insightful. Yeah. And again, in all fairness, you know, it's easy for people to say, no, 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 I don't want a party. I don't want this. I don't want that. To me, as long as the property is not destroyed, we're okay. You know, and we do recommend to get event insurance and all that stuff. So we've got some protections there. We do get a bigger security deposit from them. Um, and, you know, our terms are different. As long as you know how to navigate around it, it's okay. And, you know, for us, that necessitated the need for having someone local present there. Because we're getting 45 inquiries a month, 45 to 50 yes. inquiries a month um, for weddings. And everyone wants to see a tour. We actually paid someone to come into a Matterport virtual tour of it. Now we say, if, you want to, if you're interested in the property, you give us a 30% refundable deposit. We send, we'll send you the virtual tour. If you like it, you give us a 30% deposit. It's refundable. Which, which basically established that you're a serious person looking for it and are willing to spend up to that amount of money, 12, 14,000, whatever it is. Then we will schedule a time for you to come to a tour and then we confirm. And if you, after the tour, you don't like it, we'll give you our money back. But first look at the virtual tour, right? The best 500 bucks we spent. Otherwise, my guys had to go there every day giving multiple tours. So you just got to get a little savvy around this topic. As long as you get savvy around it and get the right team in place, it's actually pretty darn good. Do you ever, and maybe I'm digging too deep here, do you have like a preferred vendor list that you can upcharge if they use those vendors? Or is that just like too much, like too complicating everything too much? You've got to find the way it is. Yeah, you know, we have thought about having this preferred vendor list and having this referral program and all this stuff. And, you know, people get, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not referral, it's not a referral, it's uh commission that you get based on how many people you push there just too much work and whatever we're not in that business we're in the business of renting out our property for most money and that's yeah. what we focus on doing and as a value add we'll give our guests hey here's a list of all the vendors you can use feel free to use whoever you want and, and okay. i think that one of the reasons that actually people like to come to our property is because they say hey i'm having a birthday party i want to get get a caterer there can i bring whoever i want sure bring whoever you want uh, but if you do want here's some referrals go for it right some of these event venues will only say you can use one of these four caterers, for example, or four decorators or whatever. Or you have to use this uh, day off coordinator for the wedding, you know, and we just don't do any of that.
Gotcha. Uh, let's see here. So I think that's it regarding the more specific to wedding expenses. Cause I think you're going to have everybody wanting to buy wedding venues in <laughs> Texas, myself included. Uh, so what are you guys typically seeing for property taxes in Texas? Stacy, if you want to take that question first as a market, then I'll tell you my numbers might be helpful. Yeah, I would say in general, most of our markets are close to the 2% um, property tax range. Uh, so it, some are a little bit less than that, but you're you're going to be looking at, you know, I would budget for almost 2% uh, in most Texas Hill Country markets. And if it comes in lower, then that's just a bonus. Yeah, and in our in our case, you know, our market value of the property is I'll say between one point nine and two million dollars, something in that range. Um, our assessed value is lower. Uh, all I remember is this year I paid about thirty thousand in taxes on the property. Yeah, and the good news is, like, if you have some land, there's a lot of ways you can get um, ag exemptions as well. So um, there there's some things that you can take advantage of to lower that tax burden if you're outside of city limits. Awesome. All right. Now let's talk about insurance. What is insurance like in Texas compared to other places? Are there any specific uh, insurances that you need to get that you might not need to get in other places? Or is it just pretty typical? I think we do typical short-term rental insurance like we do at every other property. Uh, The one thing to keep in mind here, Texas insurance tends to be slightly on the higher side um, compared to like Broken Bow because uh, in Texas, you have the hail on the roof, right? The hail damage possibility. Uh, just like Gulf Shores, you got the wind and the hurricane stuff. Uh, Texas, we got the hail damage possibility. So the insurance tends to be slightly higher, uh, but nothing crazy. And you know what it comes down to, Avery, again, in my opinion, is the expenses, the insurance, all the stuff might be slightly higher, marginally higher than other places. But if that can make or break your deal, you're cutting it too close. We shouldn't be doing the deal anyways, right? Uh, in spite of all of it, the deal should make money and make sense, including all these costs. Same thing with Gulf Shores, right? Instead of paying 5000 in insurance, you're spending eight or 10000 because of where it is located. If that's going to break your deal, don't buy that property to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, so, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So insurance is pretty typical, except you have to worry about hail, but no, no real major natural disaster stuff that we have to worry about every year, like some other places. Yeah. And if you have water on your property, you may be required to get a flood insurance policy. Uh, But if you go with a private carrier, that's pretty minimal as well. Yeah. Unlike, unlike places like Gulf Shores, that flood insurance is probably only a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand bucks a year. Gulf Shores, we spend 8,000 a year on Mm -hmm. flood insurance, right? Oh, yes. Well, speaking of potential things that could happen that you might have to maintain or replace, so what do you typically budget for your maintenance and or CapEx? So smaller properties, we typically go at 5% of revenue as maintenance. Okay. Uh, bigger properties, we tend to go about 3.5%. It okay. doesn't make sense to budget 5% on a property that's going to do 400000 a year, right? 
Right. Yeah. It would have to be something major, yeah. major. Exactly. exactly. And I think so. that it's important that you brought that up because a lot of people just use it across the board and then they're looking at a deal that does you a lot, like yeah. you said, 400,000, yeah. and there's no way you would ever possibly spend that nope. much on maintenance. Nope. So it's important to remember. And also, I think a lot of people make the mistake of doing it as a percentage of the purchase price. Sometimes I see that mistake being made a lot. And you know, yeah. if you're buying a million dollar property, that's also way too much in your budget. So keep that Correct. in mind too. Uh, anything else expense wise that we haven't touched on that we should? Those are all. That's all the bullet points that I had. Uh, from my perspective, if it is a regular property, just hey, you're buying a short-term rental downtown Fredericksburg, three bedrooms or four bedrooms or whatever. I don't see anything else major. Um, but if you're buying a bigger property, there's going to be a wedding venue and stuff like that. I would certainly budget for a few things, you know, some nice improvements. For example, when you're rehabbing the property in Texas, for us, because it's a wedding venue, we put in, you know, 3,500 square feet worth of turf, right? That was a big, big price tag, but it's paid off really well because people love green, all year green, uh, so they can go get married. It's great. Uh, I would also budget for things like Especially if you're going to do the event venue kind of thing, then I would certainly budget for uh, maybe some chairs and tables. It's not a whole lot, you know, like for wedding chairs and tables, but brides and grooms love that it's included and they don't have to go find another vendor for it. And we include it as part of the package. They're happy with that. And we have a place to store it. So I would think about those things, you know, when you talk about the amenities for this property, it's a little different. Uh, but other than that, it's all the same. Okay. Yeah, that's. I think that's important to remember too. Some things, if you are planning on doing events, that you may need to to add on there. But if you've got a smaller property, then nothing too, oh, nothing too major no, in terms cold. of outside. Yeah. Correct. All right. Cool. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for your time today. And listeners, if you guys are ready to buy a, a wedding venue in Texas, <laughs> like Karan, or if you want to stick with a little honeymoon property, like a one, two bedroom, something a little bit smaller. That's great too. If you want to buy them with Stacy, then you know where to find us agents at the shorttermshop.com. And if you guys just have more questions, be sure to join our Facebook group, short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book. And you can also join us every Thursday live for a zoom call where you can ask us any questions that you want. You can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Thanks everybody. Thank you.